What's up, man? Hey, how's it going, dude? Good. There we go. All right. It's first time using Zoom. <laughs> oh yeah. It's uh it's all right. It's better if we could do it in person, but yeah, um, for sure. This way I don't have to fly you across the country, put you up in a hotel <laughs> or so. I can't afford to do it anyway. So I can't afford to do that either. So that's cool. <laughs> so this is the Eric Swan Racing.com podcast number 126 with Tyler Bangford uh, of Apex on Instagram and all that. So thanks for coming <laughs> on and talking to me for about an hour or so today. Yes, sir. And I just want to get your story and um, get your name out there a little bit more and learn more about you. So uh, you've been in the motorcycle industry for a little while now. So tell yep. me about your experience with bikes and, and all that. So I didn't really grow up, you know, riding dirt bikes, you know, like all the other kids, but I uh, got to do some trail riding probably five times when I was a kid. And uh, as our next door neighbor, his name's Scott Mundell, actually, he works for Faye Myers wearing his shirt today, but um, nice. he uh, got me hooked. You know, I, I loved motorcycles. I loved anything motorsports and so um growing up of course my mom was like no you're not having any sort of motorcycle so um we got into cars me and my brother and uh yeah started from there and you know i started doing local autocross stuff and um i actually watched the movie faster i think it's faster or fastest one of those um and uh love Valentino Rossi, you know, and I was like, man, that's so cool that they can drag their knee. So I uh, signed up for a local track day at Barber when I was stationed in Mississippi and uh, went and did a track day, man. And I've been hooked ever since. So, And uh, what, what kind of cars did you start out with? Uh, I started with Hondas, you know, so um, <laughs> Honda Civics and, you know, we boosted them. We were just doing, you know, like highway drag runs, you know. And uh, my friends in Colorado still do that to this day, you know, but um, I kind of phased out of the car thing once I got into bikes because I was like, oh, it's just going to be way cheaper. Yeah, of, of course, it's, you know, not the case is the faster you go, the more expensive it gets. <laughs> I mean, I would say at a certain level, it's going to be cheaper. You have less tires, you have less parts mm -hmm. and components if you have a yard sale. But, but for sure. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really expensive to get into cars. But I'd also say depending on the level that you're at bikes are also as expensive oh for sure and and that's the problem is like i mean now that i have some sort of track experience and in going into cars if i was to race cars and try to be competitive it would just be you know two times the cost so and obviously the initial investment is is almost as expensive as the bikes you know like if you just wanted to race spec miatas you know that's expensive <laughs> yeah i looked so. into that it's um it's like a hundred thousand dollars for those spec mm -hmm. Miatas with an engine package and everything. And it's still a stock class. Yep. You're still spending <laughs> six figures just for the vehicle. Just for the car. Yeah. yeah. And then you got to spend money on tires and entry fees, travel. So it is not cheaper. <laughs> yeah. Bigger trailers, bigger haulers. Cause I used yep. to, when, when I started, I started uh, towing, going to the track with a Pontiac Sunfire. Mm -hmm. That was my tow vehicle, like a, just a two door sedan. And, nice. Uh, you can do it. It's not ideal. You're not going to be, you know, getting there that quick. But um, <laughs> it was capable. At one point, the entire car was packed full of stuff. I have mm -hmm. an open trailer, and now I'm I'm strapping tires to the roof of the car because there's oh, nowhere else yeah. to put them. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely been there. I I uh, had a tow hitch mounted on my Lexus one time, and I had like a little four by eight utility trailer, and so 
I'd take that to the track and same thing, just packing it to the rafters, you know? Yeah. And so uh, when did you get into track days? Um, so I did my first track day in 2014. And then I didn't do another one until 2015 because we were driving home from my first track day. Someone broke into our truck and stole all of our gear. Oh, so, no. Um, I didn't have any money to replace it. You know, I was in the military at the time. And it was just like not high on the priority list to replace it. So I... um didn't do one for a while. And then, uh, I got another suit and, you know, I had helmets and stuff. So, um, I did an another one, but I didn't do one for, you know, a few years after that. So I, my first two years, I only did two track days, you know, but yeah. I, I just was like itching to get back, you know, it was a lot of fun. So. And what is, what happens? Uh, I'm fortunate enough to not have anything stolen like that yet. Mm -hmm. So what is, what, what's the process? Uh, do you file an insurance claim? Do you get money from the police or not the police, but you know, um, certain parties? So you do file an insurance claim. And at the time I was young and stupid. So I didn't have my own like renter's insurance, which is what would cover that. Hmm. Um, but the guy I was with had homeowner's insurance. So he claimed everything and then just took all the money. Oh, and no. never gave me any money for any of my stuff. So uh. yeah, we had a big falling out. You know, I never brought it up to him. Um, but I knew that's what happened. You know, we claimed two, you know, the suits, the helmets, the gloves, like everything, you know, and, and GoPros, cameras, stands, all of it. And we claimed it all. And I, and I, he came back with a new bike, you know, like a couple months later, cause it does take a while to get your, um, money, like to get paid out from that. And everything is depreciated. So you're not getting like the value that you would get out of it anyways. So that, that sucked. That took a while to get back. And then, I mean, that's not even the first time I've had all my stuff stolen. So, uh, we just actually moved to, uh, Menifee and, um, like the day before our house closed, someone stole my trailer and we had all of our stuff for moving here and, um, like safe, uh, riding gear, you know, helmets, our bed was in there, my brother's toolbox, which is super important to me. Um, and it just, you know, they took it all. And then, um, we ended up catching them the same day because I had this weird feeling. I was like, man, I got to buy an air tag and just, you know, put it in my brother's toolbox because that's the only thing, if this thing all got stolen, that's the only thing I want back. And, uh, luckily I did that. It wasn't like a foolproof plan, but, um, cause it's inside of a toolbox and the signal wasn't getting out until they opened the doors of the metal trailer, you know? So it's like metal inside metal. And it was like blocking the signal. So every time they opened the doors, I'd get a ping like, Oh, Hey, your trailer's here. And so, um, we just basically followed them all the way around, um, around Southern California. And eventually they stopped at a, uh, a casino and, um, they had a couple of escorts, I would say. And, uh, the police went in there and arrested the dudes and I mean, it's California. So they were out within 12 hours, you know? So, wow. I mean, um, and then we got pretty screwed on that insurance deal. So, um, we lost about $45,000 worth of stuff Oof. and they paid out 14. So, so they had, uh, they, they were still driving it around, but they unloaded some of the gear. It sounds like, 
Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I have another story about that. Actually, let me grab the helmet. I'll show you. Yeah. So <laughs> I had this helmet. Uh, I mean, pretty recognizable. You know, it's got my last name on it. You know, yeah. they didn't even take the stickers off of it. <laughs> so um, we were checking like offer up and Facebook every day for all my gear and stuff. And, you know, it never pops up. And someone tagged me in a for sale post on Facebook and said, hey, dude, isn't this your helmet? <laughs> Oh, wow. And so uh, we set up like a little sting and drove down there. And the guy was like, yeah, I think it's it's a one of a kind, man. It's a the Bankford edition. You know, it's it's it has, <laughs> I laughed so hard. I was like, you have no idea, dude. It's <laughs> it's a one of a kind. No, it's, it's made for me because I was like, that's crazy. That's my last name. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, yeah, we luckily had, you know, some friend cops in the area and they met us there. And so they arrested that dude. And I, you know. He wasn't even the guy that stole my trailer. So I had like a soft spot for him. You know, like I'm always willing to give someone a second chance. And I was like, man, like just turn your life around and just, you know, do something to help somebody else. And so I guess the guy had been arrested four times before for selling stolen property. And uh, so they had to do a mandatory search and he had PCP on him. So he went to jail oh. anyway. Oh, no. I wasn't even going to press charges on the guy because he's, you know, a peon in the whole scheme of the thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, it seems uh, like, uh, you know, you see these criminal TV shows you're like, oh, wow, I can make so much money. But then if you, <laughs> if you get caught, like, is that worth your freedom? Like uh, right. going to jail for X amount of years? Like, it's just not worth jail time it sounds like it no. could be lucrative but it's just you're you're ruining people's lives and mm-hmm. you could easily ruin your own life yep and i it's it's definitely not worth it like you know i work really hard for my stuff and you know i'm willing to help you out you know if you if you ask me you don't have yeah. to steal it you know <laughs> i'm i'm down to help but right for know, sure it just like i think a thief is the worst because it makes you a liar it makes you a thief obviously and an overall bad person so yeah it's total lack of trust in in society right now and so uh if you if you knew it was going to be stolen again what would you do or have you done anything differently to protect those assets like is an apple air Air tag the best plan of action or is there something else um i think so what i did is i changed where i put the air tag in the trailer so that way it'll constantly have signal and like the only way i'll lose it is if it goes in like you know, a garage or something. And it's really hard to fit this size. I mean, it's a uh, eight by 10, I think. Okay. It's really hard to fit that in a garage, you know? So, I mean, I don't really know how else to, to stop it. I had a hitch lock. I had a ball lock on there. Every door was locked. They cut them all off. They left the locks on the ground where the trailer was. They didn't even clean that up. You know, they just took the trailer out from in front of our house. So, man, I just had a friend, yeah. uh, Christy Lee, get her uh, Hellcat stolen from her driveway. Man, that sucks. It's like a $40,000 car at least, right? Yeah, plus, hopefully plus you have good insurance on that. <laughs> the mods is the problem, though. You know, you spend all that. Like, it's it's funny. I wish my ZX-10 was in there because I'm trying to sell it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you might as well steal that, and then I at least claim some insurance on it, and then... I don't have to haggle with anybody. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. It makes it a little easier. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, it sucks like that. I'm, uh, I have, uh, you know, a couple of bicycles I think are fairly expensive and I'm like anything mm-hmm. over a thousand dollars should have an air tag on it. Or I've actually seen they have, uh, they have post 
GPSs, so you can put a uh, like a post inside your handlebar, and yeah. it works as a GPS unit. You can put them inside your uh, your seat post as well. Nice. Um, and so nobody's really going to find it there. They don't know to look yeah. there. Um, but I think they're much more expensive than the air tags. They might be yeah. you know, a better triangulation pattern to find it, but you're gonna you're gonna spend more. For sure. And the problem with the air tag is, is it lets no, um, people know, like that an air tag's following them. You know, if they have an iPhone, but yeah. if they have an Android, which apparently I don't know if these guys even had a phone. You know. Yeah. So they they were kind of tweaker folks, but um, <laughs> super unfortunate because, like, I'll help somebody out. You know what I mean? Like said it before. So I just I just don't like when people steal from me. So. I was really mad at first. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a deep breath and see what I, is left. And, you know, I was missing so much stuff, but I like, they cut the uh, GPS out of my suit. Like, so I have a Denise um, D air airbag and they like, I don't know if the diodes touched and the light turned on and they just assumed it, you know, tweaker status. Oh, GPS, they're following <laughs> us, you know? So they literally just cut my suit open with a knife and cut the wires out of the, um, the light, which I don't even think stops the GPS from working. And it's not like I can track it with that GPS. It's literally for like the track, you know, right. Going around a racetrack. So, yeah. So yeah, just, just dumb. And we're just recovering from that and trying to move into the new house, you know, make it our own. So and you're in uh, San Diego area now? Yeah, so I'm about probably an hour and a half north of San Diego. I'm probably in between LA and San Diego now. So, and what's the uh, general landscape of things uh, look like out there? Uh, so we're like not what everyone thinks uh, Southern California is. We're kind of like borderline desert. You okay. know? So when we first moved in, the first week it was like 116 degrees here. Oof. <laughs> so yeah i mean we race in in at chuckwalla and all that stuff so it's super hot we're not um not used to it so yeah it's just it's it's not bad like the winter it seems like regular southern california the summer i guess was like a heat wave and not normal but it was really hot <laughs> i almost regretted buying but uh, it was good man but you probably don't have a, a lawn to mow if it's that hot, desertous area. It, you'd be surprised. We have a lawn, and I have to oh, go yeah? out there in the heat and mow it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, considering a move in the next uh, five weeks or so out to uh, Las mm -hmm. Vegas. And yeah. I'm not going to have to bring a snowblower, and I'm not going to have to bring a lawnmower. Yeah. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds. <laughs> I mean, it gets uh, it gets pretty darn cold there, actually. I was surprised. Um, it gets to like 30s, 40, you know, high 30s. But it was in the 40s and 50s most of the time. I was like, I did not come prepared for this. I thought it was going to be hotter. <laughs> oh, yeah. it. Uh, I think probably three years ago, it was like during my amateur 600 season, we were driving out to Chuckwalla, and it started snowing in Vegas. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a brutal trip. <laughs> yeah. So, and it snowed the entire drive to Chuckwalla. And then we got to Chuck, and it was like high of 51 degrees, you know? So we're, I mean, I know you East Coast guys do that. And, you know, if it's not 55 or higher, I'm like, little sketched out by the conditions you know yeah people are like in shorts and t-shirts at 50 degrees in michigan yeah i know it's crazy dude it's just i think your body gets acclimated um mm -hmm. and you just get used to a certain temperature range i went to florida a couple years back for a little vacation and yep. i did some uh it was like yoga on the beach i was like oh, that sounds cool i'll try it out you know and yeah. um it was like 
mid 70s it was like 70 degrees and people were in winter coats i was like are you kidding yeah. me right now <laughs> <laughs> that's how it is in southern california i was i was pedaling the other day and i was going up this hill you know so it's like warm you know i'm sweating and i see this like couple walk past me i'm like dude it's 68 degrees outside and they're wearing full winter get-ups uggs you know the whole they got starbucks in their hand with yeah. you know they're oh it's so cold out here and we're just enjoying the winter but yeah it's it is not that bad i'm from colorado so i like i know cold a little bit yeah but um i've been i haven't lived there since 2011 so i totally acclimated to las vegas mississippi uh you know california everything that's hot so it sounds so, like you've moved uh you've moved your life across the country before so what, what is that like because i'm planning on doing that <laughs> so it's always nerve-wracking at first you, you never know like the people that you're going to surround yourself with like the most you never know if they're going to be good or toxic you know and i've been lucky that everywhere i've moved i've met somebody and i think this is the case with everybody but you'll meet somebody that you'll click with and you'll make a lifelong friend, you know? So I have friends that from all over the country that have, I've met in the military, I've met racing and cars and everything. So well, good. It's, yeah, it's, it's not as bad as you think it's stressful. You know, the first couple of months kind of suck. You, you have this like bad feeling in the pit of your stomach, but nah, dude, you'll, you'll enjoy it. And I lived in Las Vegas for you know, three years and I loved it. So I, I was trying to move back and then we bought a house here. So not really sure what I'm going to do, but I do go there often. So, yeah, I think the biggest thing is just the logistical challenge of it, because mm -hmm. it's like, where are you going to move? What's the cost difference? What's the, you know, yeah. cost of living is much higher in Vegas because they don't make anything in Vegas other right. than entertainment and entertainment's expensive <laughs> too. Yeah, so, for sure. Uh, it's just like, I know I'm going to have to be downsizing. So I probably won't need a washer and dryer. And right. I will, I don't think I'll have a garage. So like, what do I do with all my racing gear? Do, right. I, get, do I get like a storage unit, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so just like a little stressful, but moving down there and unloading your stuff isn't that hard. It's just like finding a place. What's the mm -hmm. best place? Can I be close to work? I don't want to drive an hour to work sure. every day. The logistics know? suck of moving. That's, that is the worst part. You know, I think, um, I mean, I have tons of friends out there if you if you need some help finding things. And my old roommate, actually, uh, Anthony Norton, just moved out there. So mm. I'm sure he can help you with the logistics of that. Like, he's got a pretty good eye for that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, so they, him and his girlfriend, Stacey, just moved there. And they're enjoying it, I think. So, But there's so many um, motorcycle-minded people in Vegas. And it's it's a good community out there for sure. Yeah, I saw um, a whole horde of, of bikes go by me one time. It was like 20-some 20, 20 supermotos and scooters and minis yep. and all oh, going yeah. down the road. I was like, that's sweet. Like, I need to get in with those guys. Yep, yep. What uh, what kind of bikes do you have? So I have a 2021 Kawasaki KLX 300 supermoto. That's yep. the street legal bike I've been doing track days with, too. Nice. Um, did one Motard race with it. And um, I also have a... A 2008 Kawasaki Ninja ZX6R. That's my race bike, not street legal. Nice. Heck yeah, that's awesome, man. So just the two there. And then uh, I got a, a Trek Madone road bike, a 3.1. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, I have a Trek 
uh, VRX two, 200, which was from year 2000. That was my first, yeah. first, um, mountain bike race bike with the Y frame. And then, yep. um, I have a Trek top fuel eight with the nice. full suspension. So, uh, that's also yeah. another race bike of mine. And uh, I got a unicycle, which I can't really ride. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, bucks. do you race that thing too? or what? I would love to get better at, at uh, the unicycling. It's just, um, it's very difficult. They say it takes like 40 hours of practice to learn how to ride a unicycle. Oh, I bet. And even with all the riding I've done, I'm like, you're probably right. I'm at like hour three right now. And uh, <laughs> I haven't picked it up in six months or something like that. So oh, yeah, to, then you restart. <laughs> yeah. Then you got to start from scratch. You know, it's, seems obvious but it's like you have 360 degrees of failure at all times that you yeah, fall over for but, sure uh, i do see guys very rarely but you see like a, a couple unicyclists going down the mountain bike trail I'm like damn that's intense <laughs> how the hell are you doing that one i can, how do they can't stop? even do it i can't even do it on flat ground right yeah that's <laughs> crazy yeah that would be that'd be pretty gnarly to fall on that thing because you like I mean, at least with handlebars, you can hold on till the end, you know, and yeah. you're just going to tumble, but you have nothing to grab onto if you fall off a unicycle. Well, you do have the one handle, like right between your legs. There's a little oh, handle right. to hang up. That's it. Yeah. There's nothing else. <laughs> oh, that's so sketchy. Yeah. That's, that's not for me. I'm, I, I would like to say that I'm coordinated, but I'm not, dude. I trip over things. I run into <laughs> stuff and it's amazing that I've made it this far riding motorcycles. So you, uh, you fall up the stairs when you're, going up uh, i'm not that bad <laughs> i uh i've fallen down the stairs and i broke my foot one time doing that so oh, no. i fell down and my foot kind of got stuck underneath me and i like hit every stair on the way down and uh, yeah so it my my mom made me walk to school for like a week after really? that yeah she's like oh you're fine you know and i was like i'm pretty sure i broke my foot she's like okay so you know after a week of walking to school i was basically hopping to school mm. And, uh, we had a trampoline. I didn't play on that. And she's like, okay, that's when I knew something was wrong. So she took me and got some x-rays. She's a nurse. So, you know, it was pretty easy access. We went in there, got the x-ray done and she's like, oh, sure. Shit. He broke his foot. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It doesn't so, take much sometimes. No, I, yeah, it was, it was not, not cool, man. I, the dogs just, you know, they were running down the stairs and it was just kind of like a cramped area. And like, I missed the first step. And they hit me on my first miss and it was just all over from there. Yeah. I was downhill. So, <laughs> yeah, it was brutal. Yeah. Breaks are weird things. Um, sometimes you don't know if it's broken or if it's a ligament or if it's a tendon. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, uh, you don't really know until you get it looked at. Yep, exactly. Well, sometimes, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so I crashed at Utah and, you know, I, I broke my previous collarbone literally the month before. So I broke the left one in this crash at Utah and I'm like hobbling around. I was like, oh, my shoulder kind of hurts really bad, you know? And so I, I go to um, the medical and the lady's like feeling it. She's like, I don't think you broke your collarbone. You know, I think you're good. And so um, we stayed at the hotel that night and like we got in the pool and, you know, the pool like relieves all the pressure. So, you know, it felt good. And I was like, all right, you know, I think something's definitely broken and it started to swell up. And so I was like, all right, I'll go to, um, you know, urgent care on Monday. So that was Saturday when I crashed and I go, I drove, it's, it's like 11 hours from San Diego to UMC. And I drove all the way home. You know, I, I didn't want rainy to drive. I just, I, you know, I feel bad making her do everything. So I, <laughs> I, uh, drove home, went to urgent care and the lady like was like, 
laughing when she saw the x-ray she's like you don't think this is broken i was like they told me it wasn't and she just she's like i'm not supposed to show you this but you know come here and look so i went over to the computer and so this is my collarbone and then it broke in like two spots so there's like a middle piece that's free and it was vertical so so i have like two pieces of collarbone and then one piece of bone that's you know vertical oh man uh yeah so she was like yes it's uh I don't think you'll need surgery though. So I go to the surgeon, the surgeon's like, um, yeah, I don't think you'll need surgery. I was like, yeah, but I want it, you know, because I did it on the other one and it was like super fast recovery. Like hmm. in a week, you're like, okay, I'm good to go. Oh, wow. So Yeah. The, the collarbone surgery, I can't recommend it enough. Obviously you need a good surgeon for it, but, um, I went into this collarbone surgery, my left one that I broke at Utah and the guy went to pick my bone up the middle one and set it and it crumbled into like six pieces. So he had to put it back together. Like the surgery is supposed to be two hours and uh, it ended up being like four. Oh, wow. So he was like <laughs> gluing my bone back together, you know? Do you got to pay for that overtime? No, I didn't. It was, <laughs> uh, it was my insurance luckily. So uh. yeah, it was, uh, I luckily, I mean, I can't recommend good insurance enough. You know, obviously it's really expensive, but like you don't want to be dealing with that out of pocket because I got the bill and obviously, you know, it shows what um, my insurance is paying versus like what I paid. So I paid my deductible, which was high. It's like five grand. And, you know, that's a lot of money, but it compared to 130 grand, you know, it's pretty cheap. <laughs> it would just bankrupt most people. Yeah, exactly. I or would, they just I wouldn't mean, have it done, you know? Yeah. Just, I mean, I can't imagine living with that for six weeks, you know, and you have to be in a sling. And I mean, you're supposed to be in a sling anyway after the surgery, but I didn't really, I, I wore it for like a day and yes, probably the surgeons are like losing their minds right now. <laughs> <laughs> you idiot. You know, I think uh, there's definitely something to be said. Obviously we're not doctors. We can't right. advise you with anything, but my personal opinion is like um, I've had injuries where they said you must keep the, the cast on or this, um, it was like a removable cast. I could take it right. on, put it off. <clears throat> and I didn't really wear it too often. I wanted to keep my my hand from atrophying. Um, yeah. It was a thumb thumb issue. And they said, 99% of people who have your injury need surgery. I'm like, I'm not getting the surgery. <laughs> and so uh, I came back a couple of weeks later at, to get a checkup. And he's like, which hand is it? He couldn't tell which hand it was yeah. because it, it was, I didn't let it atrophy and it let it, and it was, still taking it easy and letting it heal. But mm-hmm. I think there's definitely something to be said about keeping that joint flexible and moving rather than yep. having it stiff and locked up for weeks on end. Yeah. And then you don't have to do like weird physical therapy stuff to get the motion back. And I had a bad crash in March of 21 where I hit my head and knocked myself out. And I, so I broke this collarbone, but my left shoulder ever since then has been messed up. And I've done everything possible to um, like rehab it and get it back. Like, honestly, I should probably go get it checked out for like a possible surgery. Cause it's, you know, at this point with all the rehab that I've done, you know, there's it's probably something wrong, but um, like it gets better for a couple months and then, you know, I'll race and like just the racing, the physicality of it sometimes, you know, re-aggravates it. And then that sucks. So like, you don't want to, wait six months and not race for six months just to heal something and then have it just re-injure yourself you know so i just basically keep keep it hurt yeah (laughs) so i hear that i mean i've always been uh, against having surgery if i can if i can avoid it um Mm -hmm. i'm 
I'm going to try to, because I always think of like the medical malpractice and all the things oh, that yeah. can go wrong. Like, um, like for sure, sometimes you need it, but, um, every mm -hmm. time for me, it seemed to be like an elective, you could, and it might heal your process. But I'm like, I'm just going to go out racing again and fall down again. So what's the point of me going through all this money? Uh, yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah. And then I think like, does this, does this guy need a new BMW? Like right. that's, what, that's what he does for a living. He's going to, of course, he's going to say you need surgery. Yep. And like, what if they leave a, a gauze stick in you, you know, and that becomes infected and all this stuff. See, that's scary. Now I didn't even think about that stuff. And now, now I'm like, <laughs> eh, you know, maybe the surgeries are a bad call. Or like if yeah. you had, um, like they put you out chemically with anesthetic, like what if the mm -hmm. anesthetic goes wrong and you don't wake up like that, that scared yep. me. Yep. I think uh, at some point, you know, there's like, you kind of have to live, you know, and, and like, if, if that's preventing you from living your life, like at a normal rate, then I feel like maybe it's time to do the surgery. So I think I'm probably at that point with my shoulder, you know, like I, it's hard to do push-ups and I, like, you know, just doing dumbbell stuff and free weights. It's so hard to keep my shoulder stable. And um, I work with Ethan Chaplock. Oh, with, nice. Uh, Southern Pride performance. Yeah. So he um, he gave me a ton of rehab stuff to do and and I do it. It's just like I don't think movement is helping me at this point. You know, I think it's just it needs to be fixed like something's wrong. Yeah. But um, yeah, dude, I can't recommend that guy enough. He's the only one that's got it to a point where it's, you know, rideable again, you know. Yeah, he's a good guy. He was on this podcast not long ago and uh, got to get his feedback and mm -hmm. get his, um, what he, what he does with his practice. Um, sounds like it's very helpful for people. Yeah. It's, it's awesome, man. And he's got this program, um, that basically he uploads workouts for you. And so like, it takes the thinking out of like, Oh, what am I going to do today? And like, am I, is today a rest day or a, a work day or cardio or what am I going to do? It, it, it takes all that out of it. And um, he's actually going to switch platforms from he's doing train heroic right now, which is the app that he's using. He's going to switch and, and do something different. It's just a little more intuitive, I think, but nice. um, he's, he's awesome, man. Good friend of mine. We sim race sometimes together. We haven't in a while cause he's super busy, but yeah, it's uh he's a good dude. I'm glad to call him a friend, you know, for sure. Um, I've had some shoulder issues as many racers have, and mm -hmm. uh, I would highly recommend just doing yoga. Um, yeah. I've been doing the hot yoga, uh, quite a bit for the last few years. And although you're not using any weights, it's just body weight. You're not really even mm -hmm. doing pushups or planks or anything in this, uh, method, but just putting your hands above your head and stretching to one side and holding it there for mm -hmm. 30 seconds is like a whole lot of exercises I don't tend to do on my own. Right. And, uh, I feel like that should be covered by insurance because it's like physical therapy, you know, it's, it is. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a low key physical therapy. You're not going through crazy uh, movements, but by the end of it, I'm drenched with sweat mm -hmm. and um, just giving it everything I have. So um, it's just a, a low impact way of uh, kind of working those joints around. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I've done. So my, uh, we've had some friends do yoga and it's, like before the the race weekend you know like they'll go out there and do yoga before they ride and you know it's like such a good way to warm up to like the flexibility when you're done i have not done yoga in a long time so the flexibility when you're done is incredible you know like after six weeks of doing it you know 
I couldn't even touch my toes before. And yeah. then I was like grabbing the bottom of my feet and stretching, you know, like I have terribly short hamstrings. I'm sure it's from sitting all day. Um, so that's something that I constantly have to stretch is hamstrings. And like, I, if I squat, I pull a hamstring, like it's every single time. I mean, it, with weight, not like body weight stuff. So body weight stuff's good. But. Yeah. And I just think it's such great injury prevention because if you're For flying sure. down the road on all different contortions of your body, it's like, it'll, it'll help you get injured less, I think. Yep. Yep. You're bending and you're bending with the crash, you know, instead of it pulling something out of, out of place. Yeah. For and sure. Some, you mentioned, uh, you know, doing a squat. If you drop a cookie on the ground and you, and you do a squat to pick it up, that counts, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah, and it's Christmas time, so I might drop a bunch of cookies, you know? Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. No, that's fine. Yeah, and then you do, like, you bend over to pick it up. It's a bent over row, you know? So you're, you're using all kinds of muscle groups there. And then you can even do the 12-ounce curls, you know, that's quite right. a bit. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, my biceps are huge. But... <laughs> Very Hell good. Yeah. And uh, so you mentioned you did started Trek Days 2014, did another mm -hmm. one 2015. Um, yep. And then what, what happened after that? Did you uh, continue to progress with the sport? Yeah. So uh, in 2017, I moved to Vegas and um, I did a couple of track days with people that I had met early on. Um, a couple of them were military. And um, so it's just kind of easy to link up that way. And you have to do these basic riders courses to get to be able to ride on base. Hmm. And uh, it's basically like the MSF course, yeah. you know, same exact thing. And um, you meet people doing that. And then uh, you just do some track days in Vegas. So I probably did um, two or three track days at Spring Mountain with friends. And um, at that point, I had a uh, another roommate move in and she was like linked in with the California Superbike school to do corner working. Yeah. So I started doing that and, um, yeah, just like you get a ride for free. So there's nothing better, you know, than seat time when you're first starting out, especially. So I spent a, like every single time they offered, you know, a time to ride, I would sign up and, um, I'd corner work and I haven't done it in a long time, but um so i have so much other like riding opportunities now that it's overwhelming at this point but uh, <laughs> a uh they helped me out a lot i met a lot of good friends over there and um after that um i met my friend rich from apex assassins and uh he asked me if i wanted to do like some um staff riding for him basically like a control rider and you know keeping the track safe and i was like of course you know I'll, i'd love to help you out so I've been doing that since he started and I think it's 2017 is when we started, you know, did our first track day. Um, and it snowed at streets of Willow. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I've been doing that ever since I, this year I've taken kind of a hiatus just because, um, like with racing and like just my mentality, I feel like if I am control riding, it's really hard to keep your speed. Um, so you're slowing down to ride with other people, which is, it's fine. It's, it's not a big deal, but it's really hard to flip that switch for me. And I think a lot of people, but some are just able to like, okay, I can control ride the next session. I'm at full race pace. You know, for me, it's hard to flip that switch. And like, I feel like I'm at race pace, but then I look at the lap times. And I'm like, dang, I'm two seconds slower <laughs> than what I'm doing when I'm racing. So 
Yeah, you get into bad habits if you're going like 20% of your pace in, in uh, for sure. fifth group of novice, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and th that makes it difficult. Um, I also started this year um, my own coaching business. So um, people hired me to do some one-on-one -on -one stuff. And I basically take what I learned from, like I've gotten some coaching from Josh Hayes and Jason Pridmore. Um, and of course, all my experience throughout the years as well but um, I just want to help newer riders but riding with them doesn't necessarily help me it helps me like my eye for what's wrong and what they're doing wrong but it doesn't necessarily help pace you know and, and technique is really hard when you're especially like my only bike to coach on is my race bike so mm -hmm. it's really hard to coach somebody when you're doing you know 50 seconds a lap slower and the bike is set up to go that, that much faster, you know, like the springs are much stiffer than they should be at that pace anyways. And it's just a much harder bike to ride. So it's, I don't want to say it's less fun, but it's a different challenge for sure. Yeah. And if you're helping other people, you know, get faster, they're not plateauing, hopefully they're crashing mm -hmm. less and yep. <laughs> they tend to stay in the sport longer if they're uh, having more fun and their, yep. their other friends see them like having fun instead of fixing their bike all the time. Mm -hmm. That's a plus. For sure. Yeah. Keeping people off the pavement, it was like one of my big reasons for doing it. And I think, well, their body off the pavement tires on the pavement. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we like to keep rubber side down body off the pavement and, you know, just having fun really is like, um, the big thing. I think, um, it's so easy to get wrapped up in like taking racing so seriously that you're mad at yourself when you don't do well. And I'm like, kind of at that point right now where i'm like dude i can just do so much better i've had i've done better already like why am i not doing it now so i really had to take a step back from riding like the last six months and like take a deep look inside of myself and see like how i can make it fun again and so i i bought a no valley same oh, thing nice. you know so i at like the 190 or the yeah. 160 yeah it's the 190 i'm way too big for the thing i'm 6'2 220 30 pounds like it's it's insane how big i am on that but it's <laughs> it's a blast man me and a few of my friends have a valleys and like it's just the easiest bike to go mess around on like you can go past each other and it, if you crash it like who cares you know like you're going 30 miles an hour is it pretty so it, uh crashable is it crash well yeah so um there's a lot of companies that make like good crash equipment but like like t the tail is what gets messed up the most, mm. you know? So they put like little sliders on the tail and like on the axles, they have little axle sliders and the bars don't typically break. They, they bend really well. Yeah. <laughs> so well, it's not that heavy of a motorcycle, like the brake yeah, or crack exactly. a bar. Yeah. So, um, it's, I luckily have not crashed that thing. Um, but, uh, my friends have, and I've been following my friend, Chad Lewin when he high sided it and, uh, he was like dragging his elbow on the curb and then high sided <laughs> and he's like sitting up on his hands and knees, just like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> so, I mean, I've high sided a bicycle. You can high side anything. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> it, all it takes is to lose the rear with a little bit of power and that's it, dude. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, even off the power, I've, you know, that's, it's not hard to do sometimes. <laughs> you can crash it a million ways. That's right. I mean, I've, if, if it has wheels, I've probably crashed one before, so it's uh it's part of my life i guess yeah
the ground is hard, but as long as you're yeah. wearing the gear, um, I have, I haven't had any single cut or abrasion on my skin from all the crashes I've had. Cause I've always been at the track when I've crashed pretty much. Yeah. And, um, you just might get a little bruise or maybe broken or sprained, but, but no cuts. Right. <laughs> no blood. Yeah. And that's, that's a good thing. Luckily I've had the same, I've had a suit open in the legs, mm. um, but like on the inside. So when I was tumbling it, like the stitching broke, but, mm. um, that's as close as I've come to like getting a scrape, you know, but I mean, I've crashed bicycles before I, dude, speaking of crashing bicycles, I was, uh, riding my bike after work one day, there was a tow truck in the bicycle lane and a lot of traffic, like in the street. And then in the parking lot, like crossing the sidewalk, there was a car and they had the line attached to the car crossing the sidewalk. And I was oh, like, Oh, you didn't see it. Maybe dude, I did not <laughs> see it. I hit it so hard. I flipped over I, like, and that, so that re-aggravated my shoulder injury actually. Um, Oh man, it sucked so bad. And then the guy was like, I have my lights on. I don't know what, what the, <laughs> I was like, dude, you didn't have a cone out or anything across the sidewalk. Like I, you know, taking the risk to go in traffic doesn't make any sense. So I was going to go on the sidewalk and it's blocked by a, a wire. That's, you know, three feet high. Yeah. You weren't paying like attention just, for dude. Yeah. And like, I was like, Oh, interesting. I wonder why this tow truck is sitting in the bike lane. And I was even mad about it. I'm like, dude, like what a douchebag, like, <laughs> you know? And, uh, so I went over to, to get on the sidewalk and bam, hit the line. And then, uh, uh yeah. So re-aggravating my shoulder injury. Luckily, you know, I think racing helped me with able to stop. I was kind of like backing it in almost hitting the wire. And so I just flipped um and i didn't slide or anything so i didn't scrape anything but my hands were like not chewed up but you know how like when you fall really hard and just stop that's kind of how you know sure didn't break the skin but it definitely sucked yeah <laughs> the ground is hard man it's unforgiving it i know it just needs to be a little softer <laughs> that'd be nice <laughs> oh man um but yeah just like going back to the riding thing i think if I could help people prevent the loss of fun part of racing, you know, like just keeping it fun the whole time, like people focus so hard on the PRs and stuff. I'm no different. I do the same exact thing. Um, but just racing is fun, you know, and like you spend so much money to go out there. Like why not have fun the whole time? Yeah. So obviously crashing sucks and that's part of it, but it's hard to make crashing fun. Right. But <laughs> I think, if I can just help people learn from my mistakes, I, that's what I want from riding, you know, and sure. I just love the sport. So I love spreading it. Like, you know, I try to get people off the streets cause it's super dangerous. And I mean, I mean, one of my buddies actually a uh, really good rider, expert racer. He just um, got in an accident the other day. Someone cut him off, you know, and lane splitting is legal here. So, I mean, most of the time there people are looking, but sometimes people just change lanes in front of you. Yeah. And, you know, like there's nothing you can do at a certain point, like all the skill in the world, you like you can only break so much, you know, I, I think of it like this. I mean, you go to the track sometimes and these people who have dedicated track bikes who have probably done a dozen track days mm -hmm. still sometimes don't know exactly what's going on. Yeah. And then you go to the street world where people don't even care about driving in the first place or trying to yep. get better. And you're driving a foot away from them. You like, yep. you're just taking your own life in into their hands because yep. they're not 
looking behind them. They're not turning their head. They're not yep. even using their mirrors or their signals. And half so, of them are on their cell phone anyway. Yeah, so it's, they're not even looking at the road in the first place. <laughs> exactly. It's so. just nuts. I mean, I'm I'm for lane splitting. We don't have it in Michigan, but mm -hmm. I would probably do it a little bit more, but not at 30, 40 miles faster than they're going. Right. It has it has to be like 15 miles an hour, so it gives you time to react. Yeah. You know, but you're still passing traffic. You're not sitting any in anybody's uh, blind spots. You know, but it's it's so dangerous, man. Like people run red lights, you know, I mean, I don't trust anybody anyway. I'll, I'll still check, even though our lights green, I'll still like, just do the double take. Um, and you know, like I've heard of people just, they, the light turns green, they start to creep across, you know, and the light's been red for this other person for, you know, 10, 15 seconds. And they're going 20 over the speed limit anyway. And you creep out in the intersection, get T-boned, you know? So it's uh and people making left turns like they don't see the bikes and it's just you don't have any of that at the racetrack like obviously it's a dangerous sport and people you know like they look at oh you're just racing and you're adding all this risk and it's like yeah but if i like outbreak myself and i run off into the desert i'm gonna go out you know in some sand and if i do fall over you know i'm gonna be in sand yeah but like i'm not gonna hit a a a lamp you know or a street light <laughs> or a house maybe yeah house another car you know so like everyone's going the same direction hopefully yeah exactly <laughs> i mean there has been some cases you know uh, it, luckily you get them stopped before they're they head out hot pit the wrong direction but for sure but yeah it's and then um everybody's all wearing gear it's mandatory like somebody yep. asked me like they had no idea about it like do you, what do you wear do you wear a helmet on the racetrack like <laughs> Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's it's a mandatory. <laughs> like, uh, we wouldn't do this if we if we didn't wear gear. Uh, yeah. Could you imagine not wearing a race suit on a racetrack? I I could not. I think, yeah. I mean, just even seeing people just wearing regular jeans, like they're like, oh, the jeans will stop. Those things split <laughs> the very second you touch the ground. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's so sketchy, man. I mean, the the track day stuff, much safer way to go. You're in a such a controlled environment i mean the ambulance is there that's the biggest thing for me you know in march when i hit my head um i was knocked out you know i high-sided i held onto the bike so it basically whiplashed me um <laughs> I, now i know to let go <laughs> but uh, i held on so tight i pulled the grip off the the clip on uh -huh. um but uh, i knocked myself out and the ambulance is right there so you know um Josh Vogel, shout out to that guy. He's our ambulance driver at Chuck. Uh, him and Rachel, you know, take care of us. Hopefully we never have to see him, you know, except in the paddock. Yeah. But um, they, uh, they're able to like quickly make a decision that could save your life. You know, like someone hits their head as hard as I did. And I have, you know, I try to pick the best gear that I possibly can. Um, and like stuff happens, you know, like you hit your head in the wrong way. And it starts bleeding. It creates all the pressure in your brain. And, you know, then it's a dire situation. Like if any part of your brain dies, like, you know, that's a part of functionality that you're going to miss forever. So. Yeah. That's the, I think the scariest part is the brain injuries. Um, oh, for sure. Because you can get a concussion from many different ways, whether it's an impact or a twisting motion, or even like, I don't know, there's one more. It's kind of like, kind of like a, a spiral uh, stop 
you know, anytime yeah. you stop in a quick, abrupt way is, um, is cause for concern. For sure. And it doesn't, I'm not saying it doesn't matter what helmet you have. I think every single helmet, no matter what has the opportunity, you know, if you hit your head hard enough, because it's not necessarily the impact with the ground that hurts you. It's the rebound, you know, and then your brain like moves back and is bouncing in inside of your skull. And actually I just literally 10 minutes before the podcast was reading this um, post on Facebook about mouth guards and if they help or if they don't, obviously there's a bunch of argument either way. I wore one for a while. Um, not when I hit my head, but um, there was a, a guy in there that did a lot of research. Obviously this is all third hand, but he said um, that the neuro doctors don't record or don't say that the mouth guard helps because you know all it is is preventing a mouth injury really like mm. the brain is moving and and that's what causes the head injury not that your jaw hits the top of your mouth super hard and obviously that could happen um but it would be a very specific crash that it would prevent a concussion you know so i Man. i don't know if it works i i tried to wear it my mouth was super dry so i stopped doing that but um, I know that uh, <clears throat> I know I played soccer and hockey and contact sports mm -hmm. for a long time, and uh, it's mandatory in high school hockey to wear a mouth guard yep. um, because they think it helps with concussions. Yep. So I guess the same thing would kind of apply, although you're getting hit in the face a lot more in the head playing yeah. hockey, I'd say way more than motorcycle racing. Right. But um, I know Patricia Fernandez, I think Corey West yep. uh, wear them. Um, I think that's it's, actually whose post it was. <laughs> yeah. I think it's Chaz Davis wears them. Yep. Um, and you, I, I talked about it years ago. Like if you could do anything to help a head injury, you should do that because I went through mm -hmm. speech therapy, uh, with one of my crashes and after a back concussion, and it was more for like, um, preventative care and making sure I was right. good. But yeah, right after the crash, like I was having trouble speaking a little bit. Like, yeah, I would say like the table is on the chair and I meant to, meant to say, like, I wanted to go to the fridge, like completely different <laughs> words. I was like, what the hell is happening here? Like, yeah, I knew what I was saying was not the right thing. And they're like, OK, we well, need to check this out a little bit more, you know. Right. And I did the whole lumosity thing for, for yep. maybe a couple of years. And uh, now I have 126 podcast ep episodes and I can speak yep. just fine. Sometimes I stutter, but that's <laughs> it's normal. And um yeah, I think anything you can do to prevent brain injuries, whether it's um, a mouth guard or a better helmet, or a better fitting helmet for your head shape, is uh, yep. definitely worth it. I haven't, I've never worn a helmet, never worn a mouth guard while wearing a motorcycle helmet, but yeah. um, I think it could be beneficial. <clears throat> I think there's no harm in doing it, you know. So I'm not saying do or don't wear one, but honestly, there's like what's it going to hurt you to wear one other than yeah you know oh your mouth's dry which is what i complain about but well, it might be I, uncomfortable right getting used yeah. to it might be uncomfortable but yep um i think i used to i used to notice that my mouth was getting dry because i had my mouth open too long and yep. i was getting all that airflow through your helmet it's like <laughs> yeah. drying out my mouth even faster like shut my damn mouth <laughs> it's like sandpaper in there yeah yeah oh it's brutal that's the worst thing ever you're, you're trying to ride and you're like you I was know. mouth breathing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do that anyway. Cause I, you know, I'm out of shape. I'm like racing and I'm like breathing out of my mouth and then I'm going down the straightaway. And I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. I can breathe out of my nose too. <laughs> yeah. So 
Yeah, I'm a big proponent of those uh, nose strips. Yep, I wear I got those a, too. I got a small nose somehow. I wish I had a bigger nose. Yep. But um, I'm I'm always having a little bit of drainage all the time. That's just how that's just how it is. And um, <laughs> maybe if I move to a different state, it'll be different. They have different pollen, different you know allergens out there. But yep. Um, I like those those nose strips. They seem to help increase your your uh, oxygen rate. For sure. I think so. I can't even ride without them now. And honestly, um, so I train on the bicycle um, without them so that when I do wear them at the track, I just feel 10 times better. I feel like, you know, it's like those oxygen masks where I'm, I'm yeah. depriving myself of a little bit of oxygen and then I yep. go put the nose strip on and it's so much easier to breathe. And yeah, I saw um, my friend Mallory and Joel both of them had it at Chuck Wall and I was like, ah, I'm going to try that. And then I um, met one of the dudes that founded the company at Chuck Walla. So oh, nice. I, yeah, I think, I think it's Frankie. He rides um, uh, he, the super hooligans class, I think. And Frankie maybe Babuska? The, no, it's maybe Garcia is his Frank last Garcia. name. Um, dang, he's going to kill me if he sees this, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he uh, started it, and then I think they sold the company to like a family member, and so now it's you know intake. But it, uh, I can't ride without it now. It's the best thing. I, I mean, it would be cool if they sponsored me, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a badass invention for sure. Yeah, hell, my my dad uses them still. Now he uses the the newer ones, which are yep. like the they have the magnets on the side, and it's yep. more a stronger piece. Yep. Um, I used to only use like the paper. Or the, I don't know what material, like the really thin ones. Yeah. With like a, a wire in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never tried those. I only have used the intake one. So I can only say how good that one is, but yeah, it's, it's a subscription. So you pay, I think, you know, 10 bucks a month or something and they send you or 10 bucks every 45 days and they send you <laughs> like more magnets. It's dude, it's incredible. Yeah. It's, and it's the best thing ever, but like, going with the whole mouth guard thing. I have so much stuff going on with my face that it's so close. You know, <laughs> I, I have 10 things to remember before I go out for a race. I'm like, all right, I have to do an energy gel. I yeah. have to do my nose strips. I have to do my, uh, mouth guard if I wear one. And honestly, I haven't worn one in probably a year now, but I think, yeah, I just have so much stuff to remember <laughs> that I was like, I got to cut some of this out or I'm going to, have to start my racing two days prior <laughs> you need a checklist or like <laughs> yeah, a handler exactly. that's right i know my fiance was the handler now she's <laughs> racing so she's uh yeah she's killing it nice so, yeah so what's that uh, like what's that been like watching her progress through the sport so it's funny she didn't even want to race when we met she got her race license before me actually <laughs> and uh just you know with some friends and never really raced and now she's uh she's an expert 600 chick like killing it she had a little oopsie last weekend um just had her engine uh rebuilt so she she rebuilt her engine and then i think a fuel pump clog clogged and uh fried a couple pistons mm. so it didn't get enough fuel so it ran super lean and then um so she had it rebuilt again and then went out and um had a little mechanical crash i say little but the bike's like the whole top half of it needs to be rebuilt. So subframe tank, you know, just minor things. The, yeah. <laughs> my, it's like half the cost of the bike, you know? Uh, so at least now she's uh she it's a, um, R six, like the, 
0.08 to 16, that version. Yeah. But um, if you replace the subframe and the fairing stay, you can do the new body style mm. and the tank. You have to do the new tank also. So I think we're looking into that. But um, it's been awesome to watch her progress. Like she'll have, she'll go out and she'll do like a 53 at Chuckwalla. And she's like, oh man, I, you know, I could have gone faster. The, the <laughs> best part of that whole thing is she does a 53 which is, so when I was an amateur on a 600, I did a 52.9. So she's one-tenth off of like my fastest lap ever on a 600. And she's like barely raced in her life. That's awesome. And uh, so she goes on the, she's in the last corner or whatever. And she throws her hands up and she's like shaking her head. You know, like if she would have tucked, she would have beat my lap. You know, <laughs> but yeah. she, she just like was mad before she even finished the lap she's like oh i screwed it up and then i come she comes in i'm like god oh, you did a 53-0 <laughs> and she's like what she's yeah. stoked so yeah she's um she does really well like when the bike's been working it's just unfortunate that um she had a motor blow up at laguna and so it's been kind of a headache since but that was this summer but she was leading the race at laguna or maybe in second but I think she was leading at one point and then the motor blew up like halfway through. It was such a bummer. Ah. <laughs> the bike died on the straightaway. And so I was like on, you know, hot pit looking and we're like yelling across the track to each other. And she's like, I think it blew up. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, as bikes are going by. So yeah, it was, uh, it's been awesome, man. She's a great rider and she's so smooth. Like I consider myself a smooth rider, like almost to the point of like a detriment of speed. <laughs> like, yeah. Like I could go faster if I was a little more aggressive, but she, uh, she is incredibly smooth. She hits like knee over the curbing. Like it's amazing. She's, she's a great rider. So nice. But I think you can be smooth in certain areas, but you can also be mm -hmm. aggressive in other areas. So it's just yeah, trying, sure. trying to find that balance between when you can be super aggressive and when you just can't be exactly and that's the hard thing is like you can go over lines you know and even pridmore says this stuff you know he's like what am i going to teach you like i'm not going to teach you anything like we're just going to adjust literally inches on the track to get you to roll through corners better you know like so and and just manage rpms better so to me that's what like the smoothness is and like keeping the rpms up and not having like big dips and lulls and your your rpm ranges so that's something i have to work on and, and like i i don't even want to say i'm fast i'm like you know mid-pack and if none of the pros show up then i'm like i'll get a podium every once in a while you know but yeah. um like when you're racing Corey alexander I, i'm i'm down at the end of the race by like 30 <laughs> seconds so well there's just levels right there's like yeah. imagine going from uh a a cager, a car driver to a motorcycle rider on the street. Yep. Now you go from street riding to like someone who's done a couple of MSF courses. Then you yep. go from like MSF course to a novice track day. Then you got intermediate track day. Then you got advanced track day. Mm -hmm. And then you got yep. like novice racing, expert racing. And each one yep. of these is like its own major huge step. And then you get into pro, pro racing and international mm -hmm. competition and the world competition. Right. And it's like all, there's just so many different levels where you're probably faster than 99% of all the riders in the world, but you're still like, Oh, there's still like five people faster than me at this <laughs> yeah. track. Like, Oh, damn yeah. it. You know? know, that's the hard thing too, is like, you'll be riding with friends and you're competitive with, you know, your close friends and teammates. 
And then they take this huge step and, you know, now there's all of a sudden they're two seconds a lap faster than you, faster than you've ever gone, you know? And that's such a hard pill to swallow when we started racing at the same time, you know? So like, it's, it's a really, you know, it's a hit to the confidence when you're like, why am I not doing that? What am I not doing that they are doing? you know, or, or vice versa. What are they not doing that I'm doing? It could and be something so, mental. It could be something physical, yep. like training wise that they did months ago that you can't see, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's, that's the other thing too, is, is the coaching. Like sometimes you got to take a step back to take 10 steps forward. You know, you got to unlearn some things before you progress. And like, I've had to do a lot of unlearning. <laughs> so like I got to a point, but it was like, obviously I crashed really big and, you know, I, I just, I was riding well, but I think had I known what I know now, I could have prevented that and, you know, just rode a a little smarter, but yeah, it's just, there's a lot of um, little intricacies that going fast does for you, you know, like it's, it's a confidence thing in, in regular life, not even just, just the track. Oh so yeah. You have a good huge. race weekend. It's like, man, like I'm, I'm King shit, you know, like I'm <laughs> the best. And then you have a bad one. It's like, man, I got to wait a month till the next one and, and try to reprove myself and no one else cares. It's literally just yourself, you know, for the most part, some people will see it and see your results and they're like, man, you did so good. And you're like, really? Cause I got fourth and I was like 18 seconds off the podium, you know, like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, but look who's in front of you. It's like, well, if you say it that way, it makes you feel really good. You know, you're like, okay, if, if I'm only losing, you know, a second, a lap or two seconds, a lap to people that are winning national races, I think that's okay. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's so, damn good, man. So it's, it's all about, you know, what you want to achieve and where you want to be. And as a racer, you always want more. It's never like 100%. finished, right. It's never enough, but like, when I, you mentioned, um, she never, your, your wife or fiance, girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, she never wanted to race and yep. I never wanted to race either, believe it or not. <laughs> like I just wanted to go fast on the racetrack and mm-hmm. still be able to ride my motorcycle and not get arrested. That was yeah. the whole point of me going to the racetrack. And then I was like, oh, wow, I guess I'm kind of good at this. I mean, I was already <laughs> passing people who are racing at track days. Yep. So I'm like, well, yep. why don't I just go race and see, see what that's all about. Right maybe I'll go faster. Maybe I'll learn something. Maybe this could be a new sport for me. And yep. so I would say to anybody who's still watching this, like, please go, just go to a racetrack and try it out. If you like riding motorcycles, you never have to race. Nobody's ever going to force you or, yep. you know, or badger you to do it. It was just like, at a certain point, you realize that you do have a good skill set that you can maybe go down that road a little farther and see where it takes you. Yep. And I think, you know, the community as a whole is so supportive of everybody starting out, especially like they love seeing you get into the sport and like the smile on your face when you first drag your knee and then you drag your second knee and then you, Oh man, I, I met this goal. Like we love that. You know, I love seeing that. And that's why I still control ride, you know, like if it, cause if it came to, you know, money and sometimes it's not the most glamorous thing, you're just riding in circles at not, your fastest pace, you know, but like someone comes in the pit and they're like, you showed me a line here. And, you know, I, now I'm so much more comfortable through there. And 
I just really appreciate you. I love that. That's like why we still do it, you know? Yeah. So, and no one's judging you. Like we all were there at one point. Like I, and like you even think about like if Corey Alexander is watching me ride, which he has before because he's coaching with Pridmore, you know? So if he's watching me ride, he's not judging me. He's like, oh, you can just fix a couple of things. And that's the way I look at it too, is you can just change little things to help you out in the long run to be safer and faster, you know? Yeah, I mean, unless it's like your best friend, no one's out there making fun of you. Like, no one right. is gonna like, be like, oh, ha ha, he's slow. Like, no one cares. Yep. Like, everybody's at their own level. Everybody has their own goals that they want to achieve. Some people, like I said, never want to race. Some people want to be the fastest mm -hmm. person on the continent. Yep. You know, it's all different. Yep, for sure. And you're telling, you're saying like, oh, we don't make fun of people for being slow, but I'd like to make fun of Anthony Norton for being <laughs> slow uh, if he's still watching this thing. So uh, this will make him listen to the whole thing now. So I'm going to tell him it's, you know, towards the end, he, I made fun of you. So perfect. He's got a shout out <laughs> at uh, 104 or so. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Heck yeah. And, uh, you know, I've been I'm becoming a coach last year and uh, hopefully going to be coaching full time for cars and motorcycles coming up in the next few months. And yep. so um, I wanted to ask you because you're a coach. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about the student surpassing the master? Because that's going to happen at some point. It will happen. And honestly, uh, it hasn't happened yet to where someone I've coached, because I'm still relatively new to it, um, but it hasn't happened yet somewhere or someone I've coached passes me as far as like lap times or in a race, really. It's been, like a lot of the people I coach are still amateurs. And so maybe next year, like they'll be, you know, coming up through the ranks and I'll get whooped one of the, one of these times, you know, but there are a lot of people that I've coached that are now faster than what I did on a 600. So my buddy, Matt, I coached him, um, a few times and the guy got an Aprilia and he's going as fast as I did, you know, almost on an Aprilia RS660 than I did on a 600, yeah. you know? So and he's he's learning you know had a couple of crashes but you know like you're never gonna learn if you don't hit the limit at some point you know you got to find it and then figure out how to move the limit and move the goalposts for yourself so i think when it happens it's gonna be a really humbling experience <laughs> <laughs> but uh i for sure i you know i'll be happy for whoever does it it's gonna be awesome man i that'll be you know maybe the time to hang it up after that happens <laughs> so well like uh valentino rossi in his in his moto camp you know all yep. those guys are now well he's kind of hung up the leathers and switched over to four wheels but yep. at, at a certain point they were as fast or faster than than rossi was so it's like you got to just pass the torch and it's not yep. like you you don't want to give him bad information to help slow him down right. you want to give him as much as possible so we can both Ele uh, elevate ourselves and we can both sure. um, get to the next stage. So um, I always felt like sometimes I used to go to the chiropractor every once in a while. And mm -hmm. I'm like, is he fixing me 90%? So I have to come back sooner. <laughs> like, is it the same thing with coaches? Are they only giving me 90%? But now as a coach, I'm like, I want to give you all the information possible. I'm not yep. holding back anything because maybe that small piece of information will help you stop a crash, you yeah, know? And so, exactly. I don't think, I don't think that way at all, but sometimes I think that way of other people, you know, yeah. like they're not maybe giving you everything. I think 
it's it's hard to see i i could see that happening if the person that was coaching you or doing whatever service we could put this into anything but um if they're not passionate about it you know i feel like then at that point they're just doing it for their own personal gain and so if they're passionate about it you know they want to spread the word and like it's kind of cool to see your protege go out and win a race you yeah. know like so like i can only imagine how Pridmore feels because he's got that he's at that point now where you know Corey and Mikey are giving him hell at Chuckwalla <laughs> and Jay did do a race with us and um I don't know if he pulled off I can't remember but that was the weekend I hit my head mm. and uh so there's <laughs> a little fuzzy there but um yeah I, I think he still is able to find things that, that people can improve on even if they're faster than him you know yeah. like if, if you watch the Moto America broadcasts he's able to pick out and I do the same thing. I pick out like, Oh man, they, you know, turned in two feet too early there. And so they're not on the gas. The, the guy behind them turned two feet later and is on the gas, you know, for an additional 10 more feet before they're even. So it, you can see Pridmore. He's, he's thinking about the coaching, even if he's not, <laughs> he's, he's doing the broadcast stuff, but it's, it's nice to have somebody that is looking at that all the time. And it's even more nice to have them as a friend because you can just shoot them a text and be like, hey, man, like this is what I'm going through. I he's the you know, one of the few people I hit up when I was like, dude, I'm just not having fun. And, you know, I got to figure out what's going on. So we went out and rode and, you know, brought a little bit of the fun back. And you have people like Josh Hayes, who I pedal with every once in a while. Um, he he'll out, you know, he basically just says, dude you break like a pussy so <laughs> i go out and there sometimes and like, you oh, need yeah. that yeah exactly i need i need the friendly bullying you know what i mean because then in my, the back of my head i'm like they're just gonna judge me for every <laughs> corner entry i'm doing yeah so, and like so there's there's a, a style of coaching for every person sometimes you yep uh, a newer person might need some coddling some like you're doing really mm -hmm. great over here but maybe you need to work on that right or if it's like your best friend it's like no your dog shouldn't turn one you gotta break <laughs> like 50 feet later yeah like, exactly step it up or someone's gonna come flying past you yeah and sometimes that's that's okay it's all like um it's tough love and i think that's the hardest part for me coaching is like how much can you get away with like you know the friendly making fun of them you don't want to make fun of them you know like that's not the intention but it's like that push of like hey you know i see this little area you can improve on like i'm gonna make fun of you until you get it right you know and like i try not to coach that way i try to like you know be helpful and like we're riding really good and like you said riding really good in this part of the track but we're really like mid corner we're losing a lot of speed and this is the reason why you know so like yeah. there's always a reason for everything that you're doing and it, it might not always be obvious i think that's the hard part is figuring out the reason or how somebody learns you know the reasons why they're doing things wrong yeah and uh one of the reasons i'm going to be moving to vegas or the main reason is uh for a car experienced driving coaching company yep so it's um I was just down there last week um, driving Porsche and Ferrari, Lamborghini, nice. Aston Martin, Nissan, and uh, what an opportunity, man. But it yeah. is so different than motorcycle coaching because <laughs> I'm sitting in the passenger seat coaching the person who's driving. Yep. So um, they get like a 15, 20-minute 
briefing session in the classroom where they teach yep. you how to drive a car in 15 minutes. And then uh, it's people who are licensed. They have to have at least a driver's license. Um, right. But then I get from the classroom um, putting on their helmet and like, I'm surprised how many people don't know how to put on a helmet and like strap <laughs> up their helmets. It's like, okay, we're starting yep. from scratch here with this guy. Yeah. And then yeah. I get from the helmet area to the car and like three minutes of debrief in the car of like be smooth with the throttle like mm -hmm. the steering wheel is really light you can break in a straight line but the moment you have any steering input you need to be trail braking releasing those those brakes yeah that kind of thing and then now we're going and yep. <laughs> uh, now we're it's like five it's not a racing school it's like more of like a driving experience so right. you get like five laps and you can buy more laps a la carte if you want is it uh speed vegas or yeah exactly oh, okay nice speed vegas exotics racing yeah um, i should be moving there um the idea is january 12th if everything goes well and nice. um starts a few days after that after my 30-hour drive and you know two airbnbs along the way <laughs> and so the biggest thing the biggest difference is on a motorcycle you can you only have so much time to talk to them off track before they get right. back on the bike there's no audio communication between riders mm -hmm. there's no intercom system uh, you only use hand signals sometimes on the on the bike right. But on the on the in the car, you're sitting next to them. You're like you're telling them step by step through each part of the track what to do, where to be off the brakes, look at this cone, turn in here, and so right. you're just talking them through the whole entire lap. And so, and you're also in the same vehicle as them. You're not on a separate vehicle, so it's mm -hmm. like, you know, what they do directly affects you and where you're going too. And um, <laughs> like if if they get into a slide, my job is to correct the slide from the passenger seat. Like yep. maybe grabbing the wheel or maybe uh, I have a brake pedal on my side. So maybe getting on the brake so we don't slide more, but it's just, um, it's a little nerve wracking sometimes like being in mm -hmm. the car with these people who really don't know <laughs> what they're doing. They want to go fast, you know, yeah. and they've never been on a racetrack before. So it's like, okay, let's, let's please take it easy. The first couple laps, let's warm mm -hmm. up the tires, warm up yourself, get acclimated with the track surface, which way are we going, you know? Yep. Yeah. And like there have been times where there's a group of Japanese um clients who came in and a big a big work event for them, speaking yep. almost zero English. Oh so, man. So it's like, well, how how the hell am I supposed to do that now? I'm talking to through the lab, <laughs> they, they don't understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So I'm just using hand signals and pointing, curbing, curbing, <laughs> tight, 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 you yeah. know, get yeah. Or um I use hand signals for braking. I I say like break, break, break. Um, you see my hand over here break yeah. and then slowly start to release those brakes you know so you can kind of do yep. that but man it's difficult it's a it's a challenge but i'm up for the challenge hell yeah that's awesome dude i think that is um i think it'd be easier to coach in a car almost just because you're able to communicate you know yeah. the with the riding you know most if not all rider coaches that i know do it with video you know so you'll do two laps in front of them they'll follow you and then you let them pass and then you follow them for the rest of the session so you work on like what we talked about prior and you can only coach by seeing video so like you're not able to correct what's happening right at this you know unless you pull them off the track but you don't want to like oh we're you know we need to pull off and talk about this one thing you know, cause they might be doing a bunch of other things, right. And you want to get that on video. So I think 
that's definitely the most difficult and like just figuring out how people learn man like they could watch the video and just totally be you know deer in the headlights like i this is how i ride i don't know how to change anything that i'm doing so yeah. you have to kind of learn how to adapt your coaching to other people and then and, sometimes you're like you're in a group of six or eight riders you know maybe uh, doing follow the leader where you're in front and everybody's behind you yep. you're supposed to keep an eye on all your students yeah like uh, that's pretty hard to do and then uh one time i was at Grattan and uh one of my other students said you gotta watch out for this guy this guy he's taking the completely wrong lines he's looking yep. like he's gonna run out the track every other corner and so like i i couldn't see him he's like a uh, hundred feet behind me in uh, at the end of the pack you know yeah so the next session I had him go right behind me and I was able to see his lines better and, yep. and talk to him more beforehand. And he's like, that was a night and day difference, man. Thank you so much for doing <laughs> that. Because, you know, as the train snakes further and further behind you, yep. that, that idea line gets lost and muddied for the rest of the students. Yeah. Cause everyone wants to move over to see kind of what they're doing, you know? So yep. yeah, that happens. I, I try to only do one-on-one -on -one stuff just because like, I don't think it's fair that like, you know, some people might be able to do more than one, but I don't think it's fair for someone to pay me. And I can only focus truly on one person. Maybe if the video got the other person, then it's fine, but it's, it's really difficult, especially like the paces are different. You know, if you're following one and one's behind you, like you're in the middle. And so you have a camera front and back. Like, I think it'd be really hard to, tell somebody hey you're doing this wrong when i don't even i'm not even looking at them you know yeah. and it could be a body position thing that i don't even see you know like oh we're we're looking you know at, at our feet here we're looking not even down the track we're just and this is why you're making seven input corrections you know before right. the apex so there, there's just so many things that i that would be a disservice if if it were me coaching i would just be doing a disservice to whoever i was coaching i'd be i'd be very bad at that <laughs> yeah well this is more like a track day environment not specifically oh, sure. like um dedicated coaching i see um, i see but they, they weren't paying for coaching they're just paying for track days but right if, yeah if it's one-on-one -on -one coaching you want that that immediate feedback rather than the group yeah. of eight people exactly and i think it works well like when you're running a program like superbike school or yamaha champions riding school it works really well the coaching um as a group because you're teaching a technique and then like you're able to see the technique every once in a while like when you're doing one-on-one -on -one, sure you might teach a little technique stuff but you're working on very specific things to one person and i think i've never really done like a school or anything so i can't say it would work or would not work for me but um i definitely feel like i need the attention you know directed towards me if i if i'm gonna get coaching right because it'd be hard for me to like do six laps and come in and then they're talking to someone else. And I'm like, how do you know that you got, like, you're telling me the right thing, you know? Yeah. Cause if it's me coaching, I, I couldn't tell you <laughs> if you were. Yeah. So I did tough. the, uh, I did the California Superbike school as a student this year at VIR. And, nice. uh, that was a lot of, a lot of fun. I mean, I've been riding and racing for 11 years. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I know what I'm doing, right. But <laughs> there's always more to learn. There's always uh, better techniques to, to, uh, deploy um For sure and there's always bad habits to get rid of you know things that you're not doing perfectly that you think you're doing well but you're actually not hitting the mark on certain things yep so 
<laughs> I thought it was very beneficial. I just did the level one classroom and, nice. uh, yeah, man, it helped me out. And, um, I should be coaching for them starting in March. So nice, um, man. Congratulations. Thank you. It's, uh, it's That's exciting. Awesome. It's, uh, one of the biggest, what most well-known motorcycle coaching programs in the world, I'd say. And, yep. uh, it's such, such an honor to be in the conversation with my name and, and their company. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. So it's, uh, it's really cool. Like, cause I know the mechanic JJ over there, he's, he's awesome. Um, I've met Keith and Dylan, you know, just doing the corner work and stuff like so many, like James Tui, uh, yeah. you know, I, I know so many of the coaches there too. So that they're good people for sure. Yeah. And so uh, I'll be doing a bunch of traveling next year. I will be in California. Mm -hmm. They don't do Laguna Seca anymore. It didn't work out with their scheduling. It sounded like, mm -hmm. but it sounds like uh, Thunder Valley or Thunder Hill. Thunder Hill, and, probably Streets uh, of Willow. Streets of Willow Springs. I like to yeah. do the regular Willow Springs, but uh, yeah, no, you don't. No, <laughs> no, it's so bumpy and oh, torn yeah. up. It's yeah, it's think, uh, uh it's ahead. brutal there. Yeah. No, it's brutal there. That's all I was gonna say. I think uh, Sonoma is supposed to be on the list. But, That'd be um, a cool track. I heard it's beat up, but I mean, it's iconic, man. You got to go yeah. check it out. Yep. And then um, it'll be NCM in Kentucky, I believe. Mm -hmm. They'll do the Washington. Is it? Is it? Um, the Ridge. The Ridge. Yeah. And then they go to uh, Barber. And yep. um, I don't think they do Road Atlanta, uh, but they do VIR in Pittsburgh and mm -hmm. probably a couple others I'm forgetting. Oh, nice. they do. Um, Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Yep. yep, that's where I did the corner work in most. So, for sure, that track's fun too. It, with Apex Assassins, we do track days there, um, and it's it's a fun track. It's really flat, um, but it has pretty good grip. Like in the morning when it's cold, the grip is a little green. But I mean, other than that, it's pretty darn good. And I it's understand that's kind of like a like a mini Daytona uh no so that's the big track so they run the outer course um that's the big track is more of like more nascar -y, and i i don't even know if there's an infield there to be honest hmm. um but and i haven't actually haven't even been inside the stadium so i couldn't tell you so but, there's two tracks there then yeah so they have a they actually have three so drag strip they have the oval and hmm. then um they have the outer course which is more of a road course so okay but, I didn't know. I haven't looked it up on uh, Google Maps yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty fun, man. And I don't know. I think they do the full course and I they might even flip the direction like Saturday to Sunday. So like you'll you'll do clockwise Saturday counter on Sunday. I love that. that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, man. Like both directions are are really good. There's only one turn that's like pretty sketchy. If you did crash, there's, you know, a wall kind of close proximity. But yeah. I mean, you, I, I always take it easy there. I don't care who passes me there. It's, you know, right. even it's if we're racing. It. Yeah. I, I don't care. It's, it's not a big deal. I, I ride conservatively anyway, and maybe that's why I'm slower, but yeah. <laughs> I always have like that little bit extra in the tank that, you know, I'll, I'll bring out for like Moto America, I guess. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Live to ride another day. That's right. If yeah, you crash at Moto America, dude. It's on TV, so <laughs> you, at least at least you get that out of it. So um, tell me about your Moto America experience. Uh, I don't have a whole lot. I just I've done the two. I've done two Laguna rounds basically. So um, my first one, I qualified 
like 17th or 19th, something like that, and finished 14th. And then that was in 2019 or 2020, one of those two. And the Probably points. 2020. Yes, I got points, dude. My first check ever <laughs> Heck yeah. was Moto America. So it was like, yeah, it was like 250 bucks, dude. Nice. 14th. Paid for <laughs> so, a rear tire, maybe. That's right. Yeah. So um, I did that. And then uh, the next year, I had that crash where I hit my head. And then, so I didn't race that year. Um, I had everything ready to go, but, um, it was just too close in proximity where I was worried about a re-injury to the head. I was worried about money. It's another big thing, but you know, mostly like health wise, I was like, nah, it's probably best that I don't do it. Yeah. Um, and then this last year I raced, uh, like this year I raced the Laguna round again and I qualified 14th. I finished 18th. I got absolutely punted on the first lap. And so I was like dead last going into turn three and had to make my way back forward. But so many fast guys there. My buddy Cody Cocker and him and I, uh, <laughs> we used to battle like in the Weira days. He came down and, uh, you know, I like to say, man, I'm faster than that guy, but he whooped my ass at Laguna. Yeah. So I had nothing for him, dude. And that was the fastest I've ever gone there. So honestly, uh, he rode so well. We went out as a team. Um, me, my buddy, Anthony, um, my buddy, Jack, who races for Wawa racing. And then, um, my other buddy will. So, um, we are like the apex assassins race team as far as moto America goes, but, um, we all did like, we all qualified like top 20. So, and I think we all finished top 20 too. And <laughs> there was like 45 people that showed up. So it's a 600 class. No, that's stock 1000. Stock 1000. So, right. Yeah. So I think the 600 guys are crazy. They're way faster than us. <laughs> so that, well, they can class... get to, they can get to full throttle sooner than you guys can. Oh, for you guys, sure. You have what, 80 horsepower or more, maybe? Yeah. I think, well, probably 60s. not that much. Uh, I think like a good stock 1000 bikes, probably 190 to 210 would be my guess, like of the ranges, you know. Um, my, Cowie made like 195, but yeah, it was fast, dude. And so now I'm on a Jixer that makes 185 and I'm having to relearn how to ride a slower bike, but it's a lot more predictable and smooth. So it's, uh, I, I totally disliked the, the new gen Cowie. Hmm. I raced the 16 is 16 to 20 is pretty much all the same bike, like minor changes. Um, and then the 21 is like a new it's a new bike. It's like same engine, but like the, there's like small changes again, like the, um, swing arm pivots lower, you know, like stuff like that, but like supposed to help the chassis out, but it was the electronics that were the problem. It was never the same bike. Like you'd shut it off and then turn it back on. And then it's like, okay, level three traction control does this, you know, last time. And then now I have to go down to one or I have to go up or, you know, it was, like riding a different bike every session. And I don't like that. I like to have the consistency um, and, and be consistent as a rider, but it's really hard to ride around that. <laughs> right. I bet. I can so imagine. It's and it destroyed tires. Like, like nobody's business. It was like halfway through that. I had to use a lot of tire to get back through the pack. Um, so by the last, you know, two laps, I was like losing the rear on entry and um, it was, 
a sketchy ride for sure but and and i left there so disappointed i felt like i had pace to be like you know close to the top 10 i mean would i have ever got there who knows but i feel like i could have gone faster with a toe you know like in qualifying i didn't really ever get that mm. so um like speaking of the small adjustments you know i i remember i think it was in qualifying one um pridmore called me he's like hey man going into rainy corner you open it up way too much like just go straight down the hill and so i was like oh okay yeah i'll, I'll do that and he's like that's that's worth half second I'm just change right. your line through there yeah so I, like i was kind of swooping out you know to get a better drive like out of rainy and you don't really need to you just kind of go straight down the hill and you know hug the curbing well i did what i thought was straight down the hill but Hayden Gillum put his bike in between me and the dirt and, and Pridmore texted me. I was like about to text him. And I literally got a text at the same time after the session. And I was like, did you, I was going to ask, did you see that? Like, <laughs> like dude, Gillum just like stuffed the shit out of me and uh, well-deserved because there's a backstory I'll get into in a second, but um, he passed me going in, like down the hill into rainy so close, but he went straight down and Jay was like, that's exactly what I meant by go straight down the hill. <laughs> Even tighter <laughs> you know, next time. Yeah. He's like, you're, you're just giving up too much. He's like better, but not, not what the fast guys are doing. I'm like, all right, well, I'll, I'll try it. But the first practice session, um, I got the checkered flag and over turn one, um, it's, it's kind of turn one is over the hill. So like I kind of rolled out, like not, not a whole lot, but enough to slow down. And somebody who got a way better drive than me behind me is going to run up on me really quick anyways. Um, so I kind of rolled out and Hayden was behind me and, you know, I guess narrowly missed me and he was pissed. So I felt bad. I apologize, you know, and he's like, no, it's not a big deal. But then he gave it right back to me in qualifying. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. okay, I totally deserved that. But I was, I was on like course for my best lap. And then that happened. It spooked me. And so I ended up like, I still ended up doing my fastest lap time but i probably would have been even faster yeah so, but it spooked me man i stood the bike up i was like oh shoot <laughs> this is professional racing okay yeah <laughs> so yeah there's no friends out here it's just about no, going as fast as possible right that's that's right man and you know like i i enjoy it a lot because it's so structured it's like everybody's out there i mean obviously in club racing everybody's out there for the same goal like everyone wants to go as fast as possible but there's like a different vibe almost with professional racing. And I feel like it's so easy to trust the people around you. I mean, sure. Like mistakes happen and you could tuck the front end of somebody like happens every, every weekend, I'm sure. But like in club racing, you have to have that little bit in the back of your mind, like, man, this guy doesn't do this full time. So <laughs> he doesn't really know what he's doing. As yeah, much. exactly. So I have, I have a lot of those like second guess moments in club racing versus Moto America. I was like, I had no problem you know, sticking it on the outside of people, which is exactly what happened on the race start. I was like, Oh, I'm just going to roll around everybody. I'm going to get five spots right here. And I was like, seriously cleaning house on the outside. And then one person is all it took on the inside to like check up a little bit. The guy outside of him checked up and then we ran into each other and it was like, all right, well, <laughs> you know, now I'm here in the dirt. So a little bit of domino effect. Yeah. So it's okay, man. I had a lot of fun doing that. And like, I want to do more. I'd love, like, it's just so hard to, to travel. And now they took all the stock 1000 race races out of the West coast. 
Yeah. So, so what do you think about the new schedule that they released for Moto America this year, 2023? Um, so I I do like the setup. I just wish that they had left the stock 1000. I wish they would do a full season, you know, two races every weekend with stock 1000. I get that it's a support class, but some of the best racing was in stock 1000. You know, like you look at Twins had great racing, stock 1000 great racing, Super Sport obviously great racing, but the Premier class obviously, you know, had so much to be desired like obviously it was super close in the points but like at the end of the day they're five seconds away from each other you know and then you had a battle from second to fourth you know most weekends which is fine like i love watching racing no matter what anyway but like in stock 1000 there's five dudes in every group you know like there's no nobody riding by themselves so right yeah it's a different type of racing like it's like the I wouldn't call it Formula One of Super uh, Moto America Superbike, but it's you know the top classes seem to be spread out more because sure. there's a difference in budgets or yep. you know or riders even. There's always seems to be like one guy shining above the rest of them. For sure, and I I really wish that Jake and Danilo would have got to actually battle like throughout the season and just go back and forth and back and forth. But like the points showed that, but it'd be like one would crash. Then the next one would get, you know, the, the other guy would win and vice versa. And so now the points are even and they were even going into the last round, but like even then it was still not really close racing, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I, just, I, I see why they made the schedule the way they did. It's yeah. like do less rounds and have more races at the rounds you do go to, which for might, sure. which might reduce the cost of the entry for the competitors. But I think it's such a shame that we're using more time for the BTR build train race for the hooligans yeah. and for the yeah. Harleys rather than focusing on the main classes of the whole damn series. Like that, why we yeah. came here in the first place. So, I agree. Like I would like to see like the stock 1000 super bike, the super sport class and the junior cup be the main mm -hmm. classes. And yep. then everything else is a support class that is used if they have more time, but yeah, I get it that, you know, Harley's bringing big money and Indians bringing mm -hmm. big money. So you can't exclude those. But, you know, I've talked to many female racers and they're like, we don't want a female class. We want to compete yeah. with the, with the big boys. Yep. So like, why do we have a novice amateur class racing at a professional level? Right. I, uh, and, and that's the whole thing with BTR. Like I understand what they're doing and like, they're trying to bring people into the sport, but like, this is also professional racing, you know? So, and all these people are spending big money to be there. So, and I get that they did, you know, they kind of changed it this year where there's two races in a weekend, which makes it more worth it for you to travel. But at the same time, like you took away your biggest grid. I, I don't, don't fact check me on that anybody, but um, you took away your biggest grid in Laguna for stock 1000. It might've been somewhere else, but it was massive. You know, I mean, as far as like signups and entries go. I mean, who doesn't Obviously want to they, race at Laguna, right? I know it's, it is a badass track. It's, it's a lot of fun there. Um, it's just, I wish that, you know, I feel like they put out those surveys and stuff um, and they don't ever listen to who puts, cause I feel like all my friends have the same opinion, you know? So I'm not really sure who is like, Oh man, I really love BTR. And it's cool to see it. Like, you know, they did it like two or three times. It's cool. 
they have their own little series, but it's also like they're not professional racers, so it's not really fun to watch, you know. And they have even bigger gaps than Superbike, you know. So yeah. it's like they're, they're all just over riding the around by themselves. <laughs> yeah. So I as far as entertainment value, I think that's probably at the bottom of my list. And like you said, I would like to see a competitive superbike, but I mean, it's the premier class, so I'm not going to complain about that. You know, there's big money in there too. Um, Stock 1000, Super Sport, Twins, and um, the Junior Cup. I feel like all of those classes have so much to to add. Like even Twins, man, was so competitive. Like yeah. there's seven people racing for a win, you know, like, and at Daytona, you know, like they're, they're all battling. So there's just so much that I think we could do as far as Moto America goes to make the viewership more entertained, you know? And then, you know, Moto America says, Oh, well, we're trying to be, uh, keep our classes just like world Superbike." Yeah. Well, what if, <laughs> no, you're not like, what are yeah. all these other classes then? Yeah, exactly. So I think, I mean, even look at that. I don't know. I, I can't speak for anybody overseas, but they look at our, the American side of the sport and they're like, Oh yeah, that's why nobody good comes out of there. You know, like it's, it's sad. And I mean, dude, Bobier did amazing. Everyone's like, Oh, well he didn't have any good results, but like the dude is seeing the tracks for the second time, you yeah. know, and he's fighting for podiums and okay so he crashes but like he can't make the softer tire work for the whole distance right you know but like the dude did amazing he had <laughs> he's some really great finishes he's gonna yeah. be on a bmw now in moto america yeah and uh, i think he's gonna how could he not do really well i yeah I'm, i have high hopes for him i think and you get a ride at that talent pool level for you know two years like there's no way your skills are not built up but also there's gonna be that adjustment again of going back to electronics like he had to learn to relearn to ride without him. And I think um, it's hard to say, but it would be cool to see him on a GP bike just to see like what he does with like a full blown mod modded chassis, you know, like, like electronics, the whole package, just to see like if that trip, the super bike level translated, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, so. I think, Joe Roberts is our next uh, contender for MotoGP. I mean, he already turned down a MotoGP ride. I know. Aprilia. Like, is he kicking himself now for that? I would be. Yeah. I think back then, like, you had no idea that they'd win a race, yeah. you know? I think that <laughs> they'd be – it would be tough to – I still don't think he's kicking himself now. I think he's probably like, yeah, I made the right decision at the time. And there's obviously a crazy amount of development that went into that. But now MotoGP is so tight, you know, like – it used to be that people would get lapped in MotoGP. That yeah. doesn't happen anymore. Now they're all in the lead lap within 20 seconds of each other. But if you're 20 seconds back, like you're a nobody, you right. know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I'm 20 seconds back in six laps at Chuckwalla, you know? Like, <laughs> and they're doing like, 20 some. Yeah, exactly. So they're, yeah, they're doing almost 30 laps sometimes. And it's, yeah, like to keep it that close and that competitive is really cool. For sure. So. So uh, who do you have your eye on, whether it's um, international or series local to you? Do you? Is there a racer that you're like, keep your eye on this guy. He's, he's the next big thing or girl. Um, so I like locally, I would say um, my good friends, Anthony and Jack right now. 
um they're kind of like the best of the rest you know what i mean like jack is he actually just broke his back this weekend Mm. so i feel really bad for him um someone hit him and he so he broke his back um but he has been competitive at the front of cvma races with the pros like he's racing ozzy dave and Corey and mikey and he's been competitive um and he's racing a bmw also um and then anthony who is another one of my good friends he's another dude that stepped it up which is why it just pisses me off i should be competitive with them you know so i just gotta figure i will be i I will be i just gotta you know kick it into gear a little bit and take that next step you know so step it up that's right so (laughs) i think both of those dudes have a lot of potential and um Jack's young, man. Like he, he's raced, you know, a couple seasons on a 600, won a couple championships in CVMA. Um, I think he won a couple in CRA as well, which is the new California um, race series out here. And the guy is just wicked talented, you know, like, and he's very smart. So um, I think as far as like best of the rest, like, he has raced at Moto America before, but I don't consider him a pro. Um, I think he has the most potential out of all of us. You know, like me and Anthony are both in our thirties now, so we're kind of <laughs> we're kind of old. Anthony's passionate to me. Yeah. I'll say it. It's on the podcast. You know, we'll it's do another there. podcast when I'm not slower than him. Yeah. Um, there will be a little chip on my shoulder then, but <laughs> so. Yeah, maybe get him on here. We'll see. All right. Yeah, just um, uh, send me his info. I'm, I'll be happy to talk to just about anybody. Yeah, for sure. I Jack is in a back brace now, so I, you would love to talk to him. The guy's super smart as far as local talent goes. There, um, my friend Mallory, she's killing it on a 600 right now. She's racing Super Sport and Moto America. Um, Owen, is that Mallory Dobbs? It is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she, I know the name. She's killing it. Um, I think if Rainey had a consistent bike, she would be just as competitive as Mallory, you know, like, but I don't know if she wants that necessarily. She's racing for fun, you know? So I obviously want to see her go out and win races and stuff, but, um, the 600 class at CVMA is like a meat grinder. (laughs) There's there's 30 bikes on the grid and to qualify 15th, you know, you're in the fifties, which is insane, you know? Um, but uh, another kid, Owen Williams, so he raced Junior Cup. Hmm. Um, he's been on a 600 a few times uh, at Chuck Walla this year, and it's gone super fast, you know, and this is like the first time he's ever racing a 600. So, like, you know, winning races and, like, the kid's on a 400 most of the time, and he gets on a 600, and now he's, he's really fast. And he's like another one of um, Pridmore's prodigy kids. Oh, good. Um, but yeah, those kids are are wicked fast, and yeah, I I really don't want him to keep racing a 600 because he's gonna be way faster than me <laughs> soon. So so only a matter of time. Yeah, and honestly, the last round he did go faster than me. So uh, yeah, that's that's an ego blow for sure. <laughs> keep an eye on those kids. <laughs> that's right. Yep. So yeah, and, and uh, Mallory's boyfriend Joel also he's he's improving so much. So. Dude, he's out there leading races at Chuck too on 600. So, um, 
they're competitive with each other. So I don't know what their deal is, but they, I think they take a race off so they don't have to race each other. <laughs> so there's no animosity there, but that's a good solution, you know? Yeah. So for sure. And, uh, is there anything on your mind you wanted to talk about today? We haven't covered. I think that's it, man. We, we talked about a lot. Yeah. How long was this thing? An hour and a half? Hour 43 right now. Holy cow. Yeah. We, <laughs> we chatted for a long time. And so, um, if someone wants to get some coaching from you, uh, mm -hmm. where do they go or how do they contact you? So, um, I'm available on Instagram. It's at apex, a P three X E D or uh, my website is racelinerd.com and it's got all my rates on there and when I'm available there's a calendar when I'm available and stuff so I just restarted my um, nine to five job so the days will kind of switch up and I'll have to adjust that but um, yeah man it's I'd love to hear from anybody that wants coaching man so all I right. love talking about it so and do you provide a motorcycle or gear or how does that work? So I don't, um, but I do work with Randy from 619 Knee Draggers and he rents out bikes. And um, if they do need gear, I can source some gear. Um, but Randy has anything from a street 300 to a full-blown uh, race bike R6. He's got a wide range of bikes, you know, street bikes, uh, mostly track bikes. Um, but he'll basically pick your bike, um, your bike up from your house. If you want, this is a service. He picks your bike up, takes your gear, all your stuff to the track. All you have to do is show up. He hosts a super pit barbecues. Um, yeah, so it's, it's an awesome service and he rents bikes out obviously. And yeah, he's a, he's a hustler, man. He works really hard. <laughs> yeah. So. And then is there a network of racetracks you go to, or is anyone in the world, um, up for grabs so i would coach uh anywhere in the world if they provided a bike depending on where i had to go but mostly i stay on the west coast so anything in southern california that's like button willow chuckwalla willow springs um las vegas um i actually had a dad hit me up to coach at apex which is a local karting track to me so um we'll go out and coach on the mini bikes which is really cool i can do that um, I've also, um, been hired to do sort of like the MSF, uh, course, like someone who's never ridden a bike before. So I kind of taught them how to ride in a parking lot and, um, yeah, so I could pretty much do anything. Obviously if, if you're super fast and I can't coach you, I'm going to tell you, like, it's probably not safe for me to <laughs> go out and coach you, you know, like if yeah. you're at the same pace as me, it doesn't even make sense, you know? Like if we're doing the same lap times, I'm not going to be able to, like, I'm not Jason Pridmore. <laughs> well, you can or, still give them, you don't necessarily have to be faster than them. I don't think, but you can, no. you can point out mistakes and maybe tips and tricks. And mm -hmm. it's like all about these uh, different puzzle pieces. You're just trying to put together to make them a more rounded, well-rounded rider. For sure. And I think um, another cool service I do is, uh, like I'll do video stuff. So people will send me their video. Right. And then we sit down for about an hour and we talk about like a lot of it is line choice, throttle and brake application. You can kind of see on the video uh, now with like the new smooth GoPros, it's really hard to see if anything is abrupt, but um, you'll, you'll be able to hear the bike and like, Oh, you know, we kind of way overslowed in this corner. We didn't really let go of the brakes. You know, you're a little too far left, you know, stuff like that. So we, 
Um, I have that on my website as well. And we just kind of do a zoom call sort of like this. I just use a different platform. So yeah, it's, it's um, pretty easy and I can do that with anyone across the country or, you know, overseas as well. So. All right. And um, do you have any sponsors or any uh, people supporting you that you want to talk about? I do. So, well, I want to thank my fiance, first of all, she basically supports me for everything I do. Um, and I love her. So I love you, Rainy. Um, we're getting married in September. That's, That's our exciting. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, seems like a long ways away, but I'm sure it's going to pop up pretty quick. It's coming up. It is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to actually have it written down, but, uh, rich from apex assassins. Um, he is basically who got my racing started. You know, he's the one that like, spent all the the money to rent the tracks for us to ride you know and and work for him so um scott and devin from faye myers they're scott's the one that got me into riding motorcycles so he provided an addiction for me thanks okay. scott i appreciate that um tate from 64 degree uh they make uh 64 degree racing they make undersuits like custom undersuits so mm-hmm. um put them under your leathers and oh they're badass like best best stuff i've ever used um i've used the other guys and these ones hold up incredibly well i actually um the only reason i had to buy new ones is because my stuff got stolen oh yeah so yeah kind of worked out Uh, then yeah it was it was great (laughs) um and then also uh travis from apex assassins as well he's uh, a co-owner he's like kind of the the back shop guy you know who does everything behind the scenes he's like our registration guy um I love both of them. They're my best friends. So, so you guys um, are just out there killing apexes. That's right, dude. We're assassinating <laughs> them, dude. And actually it's funny. We started, or well, Rich started apex assassins, like AA. So we could go to AA meetings together. Yeah, perfect. So, um, uh, Rich McGee from Danese, Orange County. He's got all my gear needs and warranty stuff. I need rarely need that stuff, but you know, I was, the last thing was the GPS thing in the airbag. So um uh jason pridmore and josh hayes and um for their coaching and friendship and then uh the last last one is uh well two and they're competing so i have to thank 61 dtc and ct racing for pirelli's i'm going back to pirelli this year since moto america is not coming back to the west coast i'm going to switch back off the dunlops they're great which i'd like to thank dale Kiefer for all his time with dunlop um but I know they're competing and it sounds so counterintuitive, but I've used both tires. They're both really good. They're just different. Yeah. So very good. Cool. Yeah, man, that's it. That's all I got. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned AA I'm actually yeah. uh, involved with KA, which is knee draggers anonymous. Oh yeah. That's As a awesome. motorcycle group I was involved with for a long time, uh, certain like 20, probably 2009 to maybe 2014, 15 yeah we do like street, awesome. street rides and stuff like that just a good group of guys so that's kind of how <laughs> i got into the doing track days and all that is knee draggers anonymous yeah that's awesome so, there we go A-A-K-A, man aka same thing hell yeah yeah so that's about an hour and 50 minutes i'll be sure to get this edited and posted pretty quick here and cool. just be sure to share it and uh, get as many eyeballs as possible yes sir thanks for having me on man this was fun for sure i'll see you at the racetrack sounds good man i'll see you in vegas all right have a good one Later, dude. Bye.